welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, brought to you by Amoria Bond. In each episode, Amoria Bond will interview a prominent leader from across their specialist STEM sectors to discuss their personal experiences of progression and share invaluable insights and inspiring anecdotes of what progression means to them. This is Progressing Lives Everywhere. Hello, I'm Natasha Crump, advisor to the Amoria Bond Board on Strategic Programmes, Global Diversity and Inclusion Lead, and co-founder of the company's internal ASEM programme, dedicated to accelerating true gender balance, both internally and across our specialist STEM sectors. I'm joined today by one of the UK's leading experts in the applied psychology of language and founding MD of Zen Communications, Felicity Wingrove what promises to be a truly intriguing and insightful episode of the Amoria Bond Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast. An accredited empowerment coach and trainer and regular speaker at industry and corporate events and regional business chambers, Felicity is a recognised authority on the power of language, communications mastery and ethical persuasion. For the last 20 years, Felicity has studied the science of persuasion and influence, psycholinguistics, neuro-linguistic programming, as well as behavioural psychology. This lady knows her stuff. Having started her career writing political speeches and scripts for TV ads, Felicity went on to work as a senior comms advisor for FTSE 100 company BAE Systems, and subsequently as an account director for a national PR agency. Welcome, Felicity, and thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much. What a great... That, that sounded really impressive. Thanks, Natasha. It must be, Felicity, I think 22, 23 years ago since you and I first met back uh, at Shrewsbury Sixth Form College. Absolutely. I can remember even then your love of and fascination with language. I think it's also fair to say that you were also already pretty ambitious and driven, even at age of 18. You knew what you wanted and you went for it. I'm fascinated to know, where is it do you think that your passion and drive comes from? Do you know, I, I think when you find something that you absolutely love, then it doesn't become work. It doesn't, it doesn't become study. You just have this kind of hunger to know more. And I loved language. I loved what we could do with it. I loved the, you look at the speeches of, of Winston Churchill and Martin Luther King Jr. And the people that can lift an entire population to do something, to move towards or to move away from, to, to make change happen. And it, it really inspired me, but it also intrigued me. What was it about them? Was it them as people or was it the words and their ability to master language and that kind of set me on a, a lifelong journey to understand the absolute nuances those really small building blocks of language and communication that make the difference between good and beyond great. So looking at your own career Felicity you had great success working for and working with some amazing companies and renowned agencies before you set up Zen Communications which I believe was about 13 years ago. Why was it that you made the decision to branch out and go for it on your own? I achieved my absolute goal, which was working with a national PR agency. It was what I thought I really wanted. And it was a little bit hollow, if I'm honest. I had that Jerry Maguire moment one day of, you know, less clients, more care, more ability to bring the, the science of language in, moving away from the traditional constraints of a, of a traditional PR agency approach. And the industry as a whole wasn't ready for that. So I pretty much made myself unemployable, I guess. I decided if I couldn't find a role that would suit me, I'd go and create one. And I'd 
create an agency with a difference, following this model of psychology and psychological resonance first. So that kind of strategic approach and and set Zen up and, and we've grown that ever since. We're, we're very much a boutique agency, but we work with some fantastic global brands and, and just love what we do. It's quite telling, actually, almost straight away that you appear to believe there's a responsibility associated with the use of language. Is that is that fair to say? Oh, completely. Absolutely. One of the things I do with any team members that, that come and join us, any newbies, I get them to actually physically sign an ethics pledge that there is something psychological about signing and endorsing, you know, that there's that movement that, that is important. More than anything, it's making people understand that when you have the ability to master language, you have the ability to control, essentially, and it's about doing so with positive intent. You know, there, there is only one step removed from what we do, from, from the propaganda that we've seen used for nefarious intent. So it has to be done with good heart. It has to be done openly, honestly, and ethically. And then it's good for all concerned. Now, normally at this point of the podcast, I ask my guests to share their progression inspiration, and I will come to that in a moment. But... As we're talking about language today, I'm going to throw in a bit of a curveball and ask you, what's your go-to inspirational quote, Felicity? Ooh, inspirational quote. I would say someone like Paolo Coelho. He says, the world is changed by your example and not your opinion. I really feel that there is power in, in doing, in showing, in showing up, in physically demonstrating, not in telling. There's an awful lot of people out there who will tell you what they're going to do, or what they're about to do. Actually, physically stepping up and, and doing it is a, a whole different ballgame. And that's interesting. And you do that yourself in terms of your approach to managing your business and managing your teams. And I know that recently you've taken a pretty bold decision as a business owner and abolished the working day. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's very PR, isn't it? The abolition of the working day and the working week. So it was actually hastened by lockdown. It was a a positive to come out of a, a really challenging situation. But I've got a fantastic team. We've invested very heavily over the years in mental health, first aid training, wellness initiatives, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, they're probably about the best grounded that any of them could be. And yet lockdown was still crushing them because the majority of my team have got kids. They were homeschooling, they were juggling, they were doing numerous things full time and trying to work. And we'd already flexed. We, we, we were doing a four day week. We'd extended the working day so people could fit their hours in earlier, later. We were giving people and a degree of autonomy but this was actually around being really brave and working out a way that it could be a win for everybody so we used the the Japanese concept of ikigai of these these three circles in a Venn diagram where four actually in ikigai's case it's the idea that you can have well-balanced intent and well-balanced in our case it was client it was the individual team member and it was the agency and the three of those could be in complete balance and something could be a win for all of them because one of my challenges has been that a lot of the flexible working initiatives favor the employee and then the employer has to mitigate and manage the fallout of that so I, I had this sort of this idea that we could we could model ikigai we could look at, at bringing everything into this sense of balance and we could find something that would be a win for the client, for the individual and for the agency. And we've done that. We've got lots of constraints around it. But essentially, my team are empowered to deliver their work for their clients whenever best suits them and the client. And in turn, that then makes it a win for the agency. That's really interesting. And in terms of kind of progressing lives, how have you seen that impact 
your employees' um, mental health and well-being, which was one of the drivers you mentioned there for setting it up in the first place. Massively so. I think I was I was shocked actually at how positively it was received by clients. But from the team's perspective, there is something really powerful about being empowered and being trusted and being treated as a grown-up with the ability to show discernment, to make decisions. And my team really stepped up to that. You know, being told that their health and well-being and wellness was as important to me as what they were delivering empowered them to go off and follow their health goals um, sign up for PT take time off at lunchtime to go for a swim or a run actually take some time to undertake um, mindfulness and meditation courses and training in the, the usual work day but there were actually some significant commercial gains too because what I was finding rather than someone you know, forcing themselves to sit at their desk for four hours and churn out a piece of work that was probably 80% of their best Actually, they were going off and doing what they needed to to really refuel and refill and then coming back, doing that same piece of work in an hour and a half. And it was 100 percent, you know, the, the, the caliber of work. We've, we've always been known for delivering exceptional quality, but the caliber of work over the last six months in particular has just been phenomenal. Yeah, I could totally resonate with that. And I know that you are a little bit like me, that you're one that needs to move. You've, you've got a fairly mm. high energy level. And <laughs> yes. I can totally identify with what you say as somebody who absolutely needs to take a break at times, not to sit, never to sit, but to go and run or walk or just do something physical, play tennis, whatever it may be. And the difference in mindset when you come back from that and you go back to something or pick something up fresh is really quite remarkable. Completely. Thinking about who inspires you and what inspires you in, in terms of progression, who is your progression inspiration, Felicity? I would have to say Maya Angelou. So she was born in the 20s. She faced every kind of opposition that you can imagine, you know, gender, race, colour, and actually her sort of political leanings and her opinions. And, and yet she persevered. She took other people with her. She carved a path. She was always humble but utterly spellbinding and just showed how you can show supreme confidence to the outside world and grounding in your own belief. You know, when she spoke, everybody listened and, you know, she was prolific in terms of how she shared her voice. You know, she's got six or seven autobiographies, I think, and three books of, of kind of essays and, and I don't know how many books of poetry. More than anything, I think she's my inspiration because she used words to change, to change minds, to change hearts and actually to change people's way of doing things and, and change their way of seeing the world. You're incredibly action orientated when you're speaking that comes through and you've talked very passionately there about the importance of words in creating change. As we're talking about language and communication in the context of progressing lives, I wonder if you can expand on that a little bit and explain why language is so fundamentally significant to progression and why should businesses and business leaders even be interested in thinking about the language they use, the words that they use? I think there's so many ways that language can positively or negatively impact from a corporate perspective, a brand perspective, and from the, the kind of employer and employee perspective. We need language to bridge the diversity gap, to reach into areas that we may not have been able to reach before and frame the purpose for reaching out. So lots of brands are talking a great talk about, you know, as a result of Black Lives Matters, for example, about increasing the diversity in their workforce, but they're not showing that, they're not showing that authenticity. It goes back to where we started with Paolo Coelho quote, 
around you know demonstrating around doing and not just saying language allows a business to create I guess a collective ambition for a team to create a sense of all of us being in this to to explain to enthuse to empower to create a oneness where people understand not just where they are but where they're going I think there is a real battle in the corporate world and a real need for businesses to, particularly nowadays, to, to to kind of seize the hearts and minds of the people that matter to them, so internally and external stakeholders. And the best way of doing that is through using very deliberate and empowering language and in generating a predictable response as a result of that. I want to pick up on something you've, you've mentioned there in terms of diversity and inclusion. Amori Bond work within the STEM sectors where the fight for talent and in particular attracting and retaining diverse talent are very real and significant challenges for our clients. And I know from previous conversations with you that you've supported STEM clients of your own in this area. So if you've touched on diversity and inclusion there, I'm really interested to explore a bit more with you how you have used language or helped your clients to use language to attract and retain more diverse talent in their organisations. What have you seen work? Starting from what doesn't work quite often, the majority of the approaches that I've seen, particularly in the last maybe six months, they are very tick box. They are very much around making people feel that they're part of a quota. The only way that you can get around that, and certainly the projects that we've been involved with, it's around being very, very authentic and showing genuine transparency. It's around honesty and integrity as well. A brand and metaphorically putting its hands up and saying, we don't feel that we best represent the community that we serve and we want to increase the diversity of our talent. What, what we need to recognise is that there are two potential audiences to a message like that. The people who are already with you, who perhaps are following the standard diversity profile that you have. So perhaps, I don't know, you're looking at increasing the ethnic profile of your team. The majority of your scientists are white and they're male. You're looking at encouraging more women and more people of ethnicity. You need to make sure that the team you currently have don't feel excluded, don't feel that other people are being promoted ahead of them because only of. What you do is you create inclusion and you work with them to understand that all of you will be better and better served by being more inclusive and more diverse. You then reach out as a collective to the wider world and suddenly you're looking at attracting talent not as a please come in because we need another woman on our board, we know we're not quite at our 25% or 50%. Suddenly you're coming across as what we're looking for is to increase the intelligence, increase the worldliness, increase the experience that we have to call on, because that in itself is going to change our view on the world and commercially and you know ethically, that's going to make significantly more sense. So really there, your focus is as much on the internal communication and message as it is what you do externally completely I've seen when this hasn't been done well I've seen firms lose some really strong talent because they feel overlooked they've shone the light of their attention solely on these new bodies that they want to get on board whoever they may be and whatever they may represent and actually they've completely turned away from and ignored the existing talent who let's face it the fact that they're still there the suggestion is that they're loyal that they're hardworking, that they're very good at what they do 
it doesn't have to be a them or us. And actually, from a firm's perspective, it's imperative that they create, I've talked before about this collective, you know, a collective is a shared understanding, a woven and deep understanding of a collective goal or aspiration. And that's something that can only be achieved through very smart use of language. And it has to be delivered by the right person and in the right way, of course, as well. Absolutely. Have you seen this done really well? Yeah, I have. For a client, actually. So the challenge that they had, I'm, I'm just, I was umming and ahhing then about whether I sort of name them, but I'll, I'll keep them reasonably anonymous so that I can be quite candid. They had some challenges initially where their workforce were, we're talking over 90% of, of white men, sort of 40s and 50s, the, 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 the nature and the caliber of the work that they were doing. So this is very much laboratory sort of based, you know, white, white lab coat type work. And the challenge that they had was that they wanted to bring in more youngsters. When I say youngsters, I'm talking, you know, still people people working towards their PhDs rather than actually necessarily having them, but, you know, but perhaps in their 20s or early 30s, people with a slightly more a diverse ethnic profile and certainly more women. The problem was the messages that they put out and the routes that they took to communicate with potential employees were sitting within the same paradigm that was creating the problem. So what they had to do was actually go right back to basics and look at how they were engaging with potential employees. And they had a few universities that they had good links with, for example, within uh, sort of research teams. And and people would quite often go through the research team at the university. They would you know, sort of serve a couple of years there and then they would move on to, to this client. What they actually did instead, they, they started working with different universities. It wasn't just the, the, the kind of golden two or three that they had before. They started talking at a much earlier level so actually at undergraduate level they made friends with some of the lecturers so that they could be given the nod about any particularly exceptional people and they also made available uh, some funding for not full bursaries and grants but but partial sort of funding to support people who had exceptional scientific potential but for whom either an undergraduate degree or a master's or or what have you may not be something that, that that would otherwise be open to them so what they were essentially doing was going out to get their talent continuing to grow it and feeding them into their pipeline but they were taking it potentially even you know a few years further down the, the recruitment path than where they were that sounds a really interesting approach. I'm assuming that they've seen the impact of that. Massively. They're about 30 years old and they're currently sitting at about 4 billion euro turnover. So having grown from a, a kind of single lab. Wow. That's the business case right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're obviously recording the podcast today in the midst of a pandemic. We are going back into a lockdown in the UK and, a, you know, our, our listeners across the globe will be in various different stages of lockdown or restriction. The pandemic has been a difficult and challenging time for many companies and there will be lots of leaders who have had to make or in the midst of making or will still yet need to make difficult decisions and have to deliver really tough messages to employees and even their client base. What advice would you give to any leaders and managers when they deliver those kind of difficult messages? Because even outside of a pandemic, in the utopia of one day being in the future without COVID, it's still a really relevant matter because difficult conversations happen in business. They are a matter of fact. So from a communication and language perspective, what's your advice to leaders who are listening today? 
I think that the, the first thing is actually just an urging to absolutely consider not just what you say, but how you say it. So without wanting to exert extra pressure on an already tough job, because let's face it, standing in front of your team and having to announce anything that isn't positive is a challenge. I've, I've seen this done beautifully and I've seen less smooth and elegant examples if you're standing in front of a team of, of 200 people, for example, and you're going to be telling them that 10% of them are being made redundant, you need that to be the speech of your life. You need to inspire every single person there. They need to know that they're completely safe, that you have a plan, that you are implementing, that you have a vision, and that the decisions that you're making are absolutely right, justified, and necessary. Because if they don't believe that, what's going to happen? You will lose 10% of your staff, but you'll lose the top 10%, the cream, because they're the people that can pick up the phone and get another job tomorrow, not just with relative ease. They probably have offers waiting and they stayed with you because they want to. The second they feel insecure, you're going to run the risk of, of having a mass exodus of your best people. And then a business which is already facing whatever challenges it's facing. Certainly there are there are numerous ones out there thanks to COVID and lockdown and, and everything else that's being thrown at, at the commercial world right now. You're then going to be facing that without your very best people. And that's going to put you in an incredibly tough position. So what I would say, make sure that the language that you're using is physically demonstrating your confidence, your vision, the fact that you do have a plan. Make sure that you are showing that you are the safest pair of hands and that you care, that you care about each individual person. Explain the rationale. It goes back to the, the, the earlier messages when we were talking about transparency and integrity. Show that with every ounce of your being. Stand up and be the statesman or stateswoman that you or that your team deserve. And actually what can happen, and I have seen this happen with numerous clients, you know, we've scripted these for them and we've, we've, we've given them a little bit of training in terms of development. When it's done brilliantly, you actually get a team that are galvanized. They feel that together they can come through whatever needs to happen. And they recognize that they're going to need to be a little bit leaner or a little bit, they're going to look a little bit different, but they acknowledge that and, and they're more determined to work harder. And actually what you get is a, an uptick in productivity and you get an uptick in loyalty and sort of connection to, to company purpose and vision. And actually you even get some understanding. Those that ultimately do then get made redundant, there is an understanding that this is just a necessary part of the reinforcement, the, the securing of the business itself. And that sounds, I know that sounds very, it sounds very idealistic, but actually it, it can work exactly like that, but it all falls to the leader to, to lead, to lead from the front to lead by example and to lead with their words and their actions we're talking about words and actions and, and you very rightly said that communication is is much more than the words and language we use in your opinion Lissy, what are the most important or impactful ingredients to communicating effectively essentially i'm asking you for the tricks of the trade to share with us to help us get it right I think the first is to use very deliberate language. So people assume that the way that they view the world is the same as everybody else. And it absolutely isn't. We all wander through life with Elton John-esque sunglasses. So they're broken down into multiple panes of stained glass. And that's the window through which we see everything and hear everything. And we're all wearing those stained glass windows every day and they're all completely unique. And it, it's impacted by your education, by your life experience, even by your, your nutrition, whether you what you ate for breakfast that morning or whether you whether you're feeling a little bit stressed or you're overtired. 
yes, as a as a brand, as a business, as a leader, you can't necessarily face every message perfectly for every person without really knowing them and knowing the filters that they're viewing from. But what you can do is reliably generate an emotional response by using language mindfully. So what you're really looking for is a nice, solid, predictable response from the language that you're using. What you don't want is to to essentially throw a hand grenade in there and and just wait and see how it lands and what happens. You know, you're you're looking at avoiding words that could potentially be contentious and replacing them with safer words. You're looking at writing a message out and actually reading that through two or three filters. I mean, I say to clients, if you if you don't have a sort of psychology background where you can actually start to sort of profile the audience, even just reading an email in three different voices, read it angry, read it neutral and read it like a children's TV presenter and just see how it lands. Because sometimes what you might think is a really neutral communication actually could come across as aggressive or as indecisive or as something that you don't want. So that would be sort of top tip number one. I guess the second one would be around pausing. So if you're delivering a speech, a talk, even if you're just addressing a board, people feel that they need to fill the space. And actually, even the most confident person can have that confidence completely negated by continuing to to talk by continuing to add it's it's a very female thing men do do it too but but i i would say probably eight out of ten times that i see this happening it's women make your point and then stop and you don't have to stop aggressively you can stop with a smile but you stop and then i would probably say if there was a third what would my third sort of tip be language wise i think it's being mindful of your physiology so i i talk about things like hand gestures we're very aware sometimes of what we're saying sometimes we're even aware of how we're saying it so pitch and tone and and volume and and speed and pacing but quite often that's taking up all of our awareness to keep those filters going. And we're not necessarily thinking about how we're standing or how we're showing up and certainly what we're doing with our hands. So if you can bring awareness, I know it sounds like it's an awful lot, but it's just like driving a car. The very first time, I don't know about you, but the very first time I got in a car, I can remember thinking, how can I possibly not run anyone over, you know, hold the wheel, change gear, concentrate on this and that. And there are too many things to do at once. And now there are times when I will drive home and not even necessarily bring conscious awareness to doing it. It, it just becomes second nature. So, so it's, it's bringing mastery of all of those things and just keeping practicing. And at the risk of potentially kind of robbing business opportunities for you, are there any kind of tools or books or resources that you would recommend to people who are listening, thinking, cry here, I want to find out more about this? Oh, completely. So I love, there's um, a Dr. Robert Caldini. He is an American uh, psychologist and he specializes very much in the science of motivation and persuasion. And he's got two brilliant books. He's written lots, but one is The Science of Persuasion. And that was his sort of founding book, if you like. But then quite recently, he bought out a book around persuasion, which is around priming people ethically to uh, receive your message most appropriately. Um, I'd also say check out videos online for things like the Satya hand gestures. So Virginia Satya was an American family therapist back in the 80s, and she defined five hand gestures that have a reliable emotional response or generate a reliable emotional response in the people you're presenting to. Um, I've covered a few of those off. So if anyone wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, I do some sort of three to kind of five or six minute 
snippet insights into language mastery. Um, so if you just search under the hashtag ZenComsMaster, you can pick some of those up. And it's looking at very niche aspects and elements of brilliant communication and how you can bring that in. The idea being that it will be a kind of you, you can build those in at any time that suits you and, and gradually skyrocket your communication skills. It's very interesting, isn't it? Just kind of coming back to the theme of progressing lives, the impact that the words you choose, the way you deliver them can really make a difference to somebody's equity of opportunity. So it can make or break someone's access to the same kind of opportunity or to their confidence to going for something or not going for something, whether that's in their career or their personal life, can really have such a fundamental impact to achievement of goals. Oh, God, completely. And we see this, you know, various studies have been done, but they're all essentially back up the same realisation, which is that men are very much more likely to go for a job if they meet around eight out of 10 of the the, the checklist of the, the candidate requirements or the skills or the experience or the education, whereas women are significantly less likely to go for it unless they meet all of them. Now, if you're looking from a diversity perspective at increasing the number of women on your payroll, bringing in, you know, exceptional female talent, actually, you need to be mindful from your words, that you can you can suggest that these are, you're not just going to list them under a desired, not essential, you can create more inclusion and more awareness. And you can suggest that there might be ways of interpreting you're looking for skills that show so it may even be that rather than saying you're looking for someone with proven communication skills, you might say you're looking for persuasive people who are able to demonstrate the ability to hold their space or to empower or infuse others. It's it's saying the same thing, but it's saying it in a way in which you're allowing people to make their own interpretation and see themselves in that descriptive. Yeah, absolutely. So Amoria Bond have been doing some work in our talent attraction policies and processes. And we've gone as far as looking at the questions we ask in interviews and some of the stages of our interviews. So beyond the job description, beyond kind of attracting people to apply to work for our business, it's also about how you conduct the interview to get the best out of somebody, isn't it? It's fantastic. You guys are an amazing firm. The fact that you're bringing awareness to that, you're light years ahead of so many others. I only wish that people can, you know, just look to you guys as as being the example. Absolutely. We need to be really aware. It goes back to this idea. We're living in a paradigm that isn't set up for equality, diversity and um, openness of opportunity. We're changing the way that we're doing things, but we haven't necessarily changed the framework through which we're delivering. We've got a lot of stuff that needs to catch up. And we can do that, some of that, we can demonstrate it, we can show, not tell through the language that we use. And that needs to stretch across the entire process, actually through recruitment, but actually once someone's onboarded and then once a firm continues to communicate with them. You know, I I run a PR agency. I'm I'm a, a 20 something plus year veteran of PR, but the internal message is absolutely the most important message that you will ever get out there because otherwise you're you're shouting to the external world about your values and how you know how fabulous you are and that may be true but if your employees are negating that through their actions or they're negating that through you know the the narrative that they're sharing you are coming across as completely inauthentic and in a world where we've you know we've talked you and I have talked in the past about you know the great hack and you know social dilemma and and all of this all we're learning is to not trust big business so you know it's more important than ever that we show not tell our integrity and 
just kind of around that, I know we've talked in the past about your perception of the trends of where we're going in terms of brand and reputation and talent strategies. Can you just talk a bit more? Because I'm sure people will be really interested in what you expect to see to be things that businesses and leaders need to be getting aware of and getting in front of now. I think the big one is about vulnerability, which sounds very strange. And, you know, as someone who worked for a FTSE 100 in the defence sector, the idea of telling my operating committee back then that they needed to stand up and be vulnerable, you know, I, I can't even imagine how that would have gone down. But in the world that we're in now, and as we come out of lockdown and, and we come out of this, this post-COVID world, whatever that looks and feels like, people are looking for genuine connection with a brand or a business. And they're showing absolute discernment in the decisions that they're making commercially about where they spend their money, whether that's personally or business to business. So they're looking for congruence. They're looking for synergies. They're looking for businesses that are aligned with them in an ethics perspective, businesses that stand for and stand up for things that matter to me as an individual. Gone are the days when we will put up with a firm who, you know, burn the rainforests and uh, treat their staff poorly. It's gone well above and beyond that. And, And what I'm seeing more and more is immediate transparency. So no brand can hide anything. If you have employees working with you, then they will be reflecting your brand values for good or for bad. They will be talking about their experiences. And thanks to social media, that can trend in a matter of seconds. You know, if an employee has an awful experience, that can go global in in minutes. And yes, from a brand perspective, this is not all about, you know, sort of ensuring. Actually, the, the best insurance is that nobody would believe it of you. The best insurance is that if someone claimed that you had treated a staff member poorly, the majority of people would say, would say, really, really? Because you've already demonstrated who you are and what you do. And you've done that time and time again, and you've continued to show up. So what I'm seeing is, is a need for that and a need for the leaders of those brands to show up. And, and I use the word vulnerable. Some people might just sort of say authentic, but I think if you're going to be standing up authentically, actually, you need to remove some of the masks and you need to talk about what you've done, why you've done it, and and actually admitting when things haven't worked out. You know, you look at, at countries like New Zealand and Jacinda, who is just phenomenal, but you look at her from a leadership perspective, you know, she will stand in her vulnerability. She will admit when she's done something that hasn't worked and she will talk about what is going to be happening next. And And you have to respect that. She's not brazening anything out. She's a, a leader of the next generation and, and the generation that we're starting to see come through. It's really interesting, the trend that we've seen from clients, that that ethical alignment that you've talked about and the importance of a business's values is now so, so fundamentally important in from a B2B perspective as well. We used to think about it more kind of in terms of from a consumer perspective, but it is very much now in real in the business decisions that companies are making as to who they will do business with. It's become so much more important than it was before, hasn't it? And who they want to work with, you know, looking at some of your clients who are looking at attracting, you know, great talent, the likelihood is that they're going to have some really firm personal views and they're going to want to work with a business that aligns with those. They're going to want to make a difference in the world, their own difference, and they're going to want to work with a business that can help facilitate that or at least not hold them back from it. I don't remember the last time that I worked with a business that didn't align with my personal values or my business brand values. 
use. There is nothing that I can think of service or product wise that is so unique that I would have to work with someone that I didn't like or trust or align with. And I think that's got to be the case across the board. Businesses out there who don't believe in a mutual win, a win for the employee, a win for them and a win for their community. I think they're, they're if they're not extinct now, I think they're, they're moving the way of the dinosaurs. Well, let's hope so anyway. <laughs> Felicity, it's genuinely been fascinating to talk to you. You've provided some incredibly thought-provoking insights. I'd like to just finish though by asking, What's the most significant piece of advice regarding language or communication in general that you would give that might help someone progress a goal, an ambition or an area of their life? I suppose it's around empowerment um, and belief. If there is anyone out there who has a goal, has a dream, has just has a, a difference that they want to make in the world, I think it's that they can. Never before in human history have we been more empowered and able to make a difference. Has one person's voice been able to be heard? We don't have to go to Hyde Park Corner and stand on a soapbox and wait until a few people hear, and, and we don't have to rely on the mass media, and we don't even have to rely on social media now. Every single one of us has a voice and if we can craft a message that is truly compelling that aligns with people at an absolute heart level and we can stand in our vulnerability our authenticity and in a really truly empowered way then we can quite literally change the world there is nothing that we can't do that's a fantastic way to end felicity thank you so much it's been a pleasure to speak to you today thank you so much it's been great thank you for listening to progressing lives everywhere Brought to you by Moria Bond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the podcast. For more information on Amoria Bond specialist services and to access the podcast show notes, head over to amoriabond.com. Join us next time as we continue to progress lives everywhere. <laughs>